Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called but of a gun put into the back of your skull, that's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. They were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, step and score! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast. I'm Will Slattery, delighted to be joined, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Well, how are things? Yeah, good, thanks. We're delighted to be joined this week by good friend of the show, Keen Tracy. Keen, how are things? Hey, lads, how are you? Long time no see, virtual see. Yeah, no, it's been good. Yeah, your beard, not quite as thick and lustrous as it was in your last appearance. It's hard to tell, actually. Yeah, I'm waiting for like the world to go back to normal so I can get rid of it. That's what I know, that things are okay. Once the vaccine comes, I think it's gone. Yeah, well, hopefully sooner rather than later, it all counts there. Um, it's been an interesting <laughs> weekend uh, in Irish rugby. We were just chatting about it off air. You know, we had the kind of the fallout to the Georgia game at the start of the week. David Nusifora addressing the media uh, a couple of days ago as well, the IRFU performance director, which we can get to in a little bit. But I suppose to start off with, kind of last weekend and just looking ahead to this weekend as well where this Irish team are at like you had a good interesting piece on Monday kind of outlining a lot of kind of concerns you have or, or issues you think are, are there at the moment you know just I just picked out some of the words you used to describe the performance turgid rudderless muddled so uh, you really went to the thesaurus for, 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 that, for that column to pick out a few adjectives uh, look, how concerned are you with what you've seen at the moment and what are your chief concerns yeah, I suppose, well, I am concerned. Um, where do you start, really? Um, look, it, it, like, to state the obvious, it's been a difficult year like for everyone. You think, like, in terms of Andy Farrell coming in, it just hasn't been an ideal time when you look at what's going on in the world. That was always going to be difficult. There's been injuries to key guys, but you're always going to have injuries. I don't really think you can use that as an, as an excuse. I think probably the biggest concern is... I just don't see an identity in this team at the moment and I don't see what they're trying to make their identity. Um, you know, you've kind of been asking Andy Farrell about it and he keeps using, like, you know, like saying stuff like, you know, we want to give a performance that, like, the nation is proud of and it's all right as a soundbite, but I just don't really, I don't really see what they're trying to do. I, 
I don't really understand what the game plan is. Um, I think if you were to go through like most facets of, of the game, I think they've regressed this year. Um, if you look at the set piece, the line-out has been really poor. I think the scrum has been poor. Um, now, I know it was pretty poor at the weekend, but I just didn't understand the decision to play a tight head. It's, you know, Philly Bielham, I know he can he has switched in the past, but to me it just it made very little sense to, to play a guy like that out of position when, you know, you, you called up Eric O'Sullivan and I accept that we're, we're not privy to how he trained during, during the week, but it just felt like a missed opportunity. Um, I think the attack has been really poor. I, I just don't see what my cat has brought to the party so far. Um, and I know we've been kind of spoiled under Joe Schmidt in that regard in terms of like, really clever set-piece plays, but I don't see Ireland really trying to even use use anything. Um, there was a couple of stages in the Georgia game and they had like decent field position, one particular one off a scrum and kind of Connor Murray breaks off the back of it and you're kind of thinking it was just an ideal time to kind of, you know, pick something out of the bag that you'd been working on in training. Um, I, I don't think the attack has been good. I think I'd call it the attack model. I think that's that, that's why I use that word. I don't think the defence has been very good. You look at how ripped open it got for that Georgian try. And under Andy Farrell, when Ireland were at their peak, that kind of thing was just unheard of. And obviously, Andy Farrell's sole focus now isn't the defence. I think um, Simon Easterby has kind of been, you know, taking a bit of charge of that as well. And obviously, Andy Farrell has so... I think there's a lot of issues um, that need sorting and, and it's hard to get away from the sense that my sense of the Autumn Nations Cup has been like massively underwhelming. I feel like it's been a chance missed. Um, you know, we're going into a game this weekend where Ireland are trying to salvage um, a bit of pride and gain a bit of momentum going into the Six Nations, whereas I felt like it, it was a chance to see more players. And I know Andy Farrell can point, I think he's used 41 players and that's throughout the whole year. And obviously not all of them are new caps. Um, his argument for not bringing in more young guys last week was that they haven't played Champions Cup rugby. And on one hand, I do accept that. And I do get that guys have to prove their point, like someone like Harry Byrne, um, Craig Casey, you know, even Ryan Baird. But I just thought like there was a good chance to see these guys potentially on the bench against Georgia. Um, I didn't really see what the point of you know having Keen Healy on the bench there, um, Peter O'Mahony on the bench. Um, I get that he's trying to get momentum and he's under a bit of pressure, but it's just felt like a little bit of a missed opportunity. And now we find ourselves at a stage where Scotland, like a resurgent Scotland, are coming to town, um, and Ireland are looking for a win to you know, almost eased the, the pressure a bit. And you mentioned David Usafora there. It was it was funny timing, actually. I, I presume the IRFU's thinking of putting him up on Monday was, you know, we'll get a good thumping win over Georgia. It'll be nice to have our main man out and the feel-good atmosphere will be, you know, it will be there. But, like, to be honest, like, having, like, I was, again, like, one of the, the lucky few who were able to be at the game on Sunday, the Georgia game. And, like, it felt like a defeat. Um, the second half was so poor. Um, and David Sephora, you know, obviously as they will, like I've given their full backing to Andy Farrell. I think the calls like to, you know, to sack him or whatever, I, like, and that's probably just coming from social media and stuff, which is never a good barometer. Um, I think that's so premature. But at the same time, David Sephora said that, you know, the coaching staff will be judged on next year's Six Nations um, and that they want to win it. Like that is a big, big statement to, to make. So like, are we, are we to read into that, that if Ireland don't make the, win the Six Nations next year, then it isn't deemed a success. And if you look at like the strides that England and France have making, there's a significant gap after opening up now. 
Ireland do play both of those teams at home, so the fixture list is a bit kinder. So I suppose that's a long-winded uh, way of saying that I think there are concerns, but um, it's, it's nothing that can't be fixed. But I think there are major concerns and we haven't seen enough signs of progress. Yeah, Luke, I guess Keane outlined a few things there. The attack, which has struggled. The defence, which has had a few issues. The breakdown, which we talked about a good bit last week with Sean O'Ryan, even against George at the weekend, was a big issue. The set piece, obviously, over the last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of focus on that as well. So there's a lot of areas at the moment that are malfunctioning. There's individual performances that aren't as good as we're used to seeing. There's you know errors, handling errors that we're not used to seeing as well. You know... Is one thing sitting here after the England game when you're playing one of the best teams in the world and kind of picking through a post-mortem. When you're playing Georgia and drawing the second half 3-all, it's kind of a different matter. You know, What's your read on the situation at the moment? I think it's pretty hard to gauge, really, in that... I'll tell you what I see, and I'll be honest about that. Um, but then I, I suppose I will caveat before I start on that. Like It has been a very interrupted period for these guys, and I would say it's very difficult for a coaching staff to really have got any continuity um, through this process, right? So I will say that in, in their defense. But I'll say a few things now that I've kind of been thinking. I'm just to pull Keane up on something. I don't think Andy Farrell... I'm not sure Ireland's defense has got that much better under Andy Farrell. And it was that good under Andy Farrell. I mean, most of the big games, I, I didn't, I, I haven't seen any huge. Like, I mean, think of New Zealand in the World Cup, they put 45 on us or 46 or something, wasn't it? Like, I, I don't think he's that good at defence. I, I, sorry, for Ireland, he hasn't been. And maybe the personnel have, um, you know, a, a bit of the blame. I'm sure they do have a bit of the blame to take as well. But I, I feel like it, at, at the moment, what I've, my, what I, my gauge of him is that. I think he's excellent for a soundbite. I think he gives a great speech. We've all seen the speeches. I was there for one or two. He's a great speaker. But do I see a huge, like, do I see, like, lots of clever stuff going on? Do I see, you know, lots, you know, we, we don't see any plays being constructed from set piece, really, or anything too intricate there. Have I seen the attack? And yes, this is my cat's there, but have I seen it really grow under Ireland? No, I haven't. And I see some big, con- there's a few things that really concern me about it, I think. First, in the and I can just speak to the backs. Like on the weekend, like they were so tight and just crabbing across the pitch all day. It makes it so easy if the bodies aren't spread apart um, to just get line speed, get up and hit them and put, put put people under pressure. And it's really easy to defend. It's like it's hard to to, to kind of like when you get to the top levels in sport. It's really really hard to outpace someone or to just completely run over the top of someone and make a big break. It doesn't really happen. You have to. You have to be in the right positions. You have to give yourself as many options, and you have to give. You nearly have to more often than not, unless you have an outstanding athlete, you've got to outthink your way around or outskill a team to get through them. And I just, I just don't see us putting ourselves in that position often enough. Um, I think we look really like we're, we're, the backs are very tight together. Everyone's running across the pitch. What that means is you only have one option. Like it, it reduces your options for footwork. First of all, if you're spread apart. Yes, the pass is longer. But what it also means is that the other defender, you know, if he doesn't follow you, that's fine. You're just on his outside already. But it means he has to take a different angle to get you, which is usually sharper, which leaves his, his, uh, his inside shoulder exposed. If he does follow you out, it gives you options to go inside and outside him. And, it way, and it's way easier to fix him. Um, and I just feel like I looked at the, 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 the backs and I just thought, what's going on there? Like, why, why is no one telling people to get wider? Like if you're if you're this close to each other, the only way you can you're, you're crabbing across the pitch is if you're this if you're this way you can go inside you can go outside or if he doesn't follow you can go outside him and I just feel like 
what, what am I watching? I really feel like the only time Ireland really looked very dangerous in the last couple of games is from kicks. Um, and, yeah, like, I mean, and, and defensive mistakes. And I have to say, the defence has been, like, I mean, that try, like, yes, it was, a, it was very well taken. But, like, buying the dummy, first of all, uh, once they got through the backfield, uh, was poor. Billy Burns, like, he has a great angle on him as well. He completely misses him, barely even, like, stops him, barely even slows him down. If he slows him down, I don't think they get over at all. Um, even in the front line when they make the mistake, yes, it's a nice play. But I think, like, Ty Byrne, like, everyone knows if, if there's a if, if ball goes if a ball goes behind someone, so if you have a lead runner, the ball goes behind him here, you never come on the inside to chase back around, which is what he did. You always you, you get in front of the of the of the lead runner and you and you shadow across him. You use your inside hand and you get across him if he's coming on the if if it was a from a defensive standpoint a left to right play, just basic technique things. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, like, what's going on here? Like, who's 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 looking after this? Like, to my mind, I just feel like there's lots of mistakes like that. I haven't seen a huge amount of growth in lots of areas of Ireland's game. Um, and that's been disappointing. Luke, when, to come in for one second on that, when, when you watch those mistakes, are you thinking there's a coaching element that they're not being coached up enough on it? Or are you thinking they're individual mistakes that are down to individual players in those moments? Like, having been it's in those kind of combination of both. Like, I think you really have to think about, like, to, like I know just from, talk, from, from being in camp once with him and then from just talking to the guys, all it is is just get off the line. Like, that's it. It's just everyone off the line together. Like, it does no... Like, I, I wonder... I When I look at them now, I wonder, like, is anyone really working on their footwork? Is anyone working on their handwork to, their, to fight their way into the right spaces? Have they thought about this kind of stuff? Like, are they actually... Are they working on individual technique in these scenarios? Because, to my mind, I'm looking at these things saying, wow, like, it just looks like very... Like, it looks... It doesn't look like high quality or really top quality technique in lots of things in lots of areas particularly in the defensive stuff and the shape in the attack is concerning to me that stuff i was talking about everyone being too tight but they're they're not necessarily they're not just individual things they're not just player player things and that's what i said to you last week, a couple of weeks ago will i said you know it's the coaching stuff that probably leaves me most concerned is that um you know have i seen any new thinking have i seen them going yes like so they don't they want to move away from this set piece thing with joe schmidt every you know the whole week in training was focused on these set piece plays and, and look they did work for a while but then teams kind of cop on and you're kind of left with the rest of the game that you have to play and you have to figure that out but like if they're going to do that if they're not going to have intricate plays to break teams down they better be bloody good in open play and i haven't seen great shape for them in doing that uh, and that's just what i'm looking at and i think they do have the players to do it but i just wonder you know what the thinking is like i mean irish players and i remember talking to lots of different coaches they like the detail. I wonder, are they getting the detail? Are they getting all of this kind of stuff hammered home to them? Um, and, and that's, you know, I haven't talked to anyone in the camp. I'm kind of, uh, <laughs> I just don't bother anymore. But I, to my, looking from the outside, I, I, I'm concerned about that. I am concerned. It looks like, it looks like they're kind of caught between two stools in that they're trying to take the best bits of what they had under Joe Schmidt. But like Luke said, like that was, based around like the minute detail and you know people complained that it became too suffocating but I feel like there probably needs to be a happy balance there because you know I think it was Rob Carney was on TV a couple of weeks ago saying that like you know Andy Farrell was you know one of the lads over in Japan where he was getting his head shaved or something by Bundyaki's barber and you know listening to Oasis and stuff like this so there probably has to be more of a, a fine balance but they, you know if we if we look back to the England game um 
and even the France game in terms of like their decision making I think that when the last time I was on with you guys we were talking about that in terms of going for the post and we saw it against England they just didn't utilize the their kicking game at all and then you saw them doing kind of those two things in the Georgia game in the one game that it probably wasn't needed so for me, it kind of it struck me that they weren't thinking on their feet in terms of what they were seeing in front of them. They were kind of too paranoid about, okay, like we reviewed the England game and we didn't kick enough and maybe we should have taken our points, whereas it just wasn't the game to do it against. Well, like building a score on a meaningless friendly against Georgia with three pointers. Come and on. Like, like. And even there was I, don't, another- I don't have a problem if that's a total change because I think they're just wrong on that one. Mm. I, I do believe, I think, like, I mean, to my mind, that's just wrong. I think you just take your points against international teams. I, I get the point, Keen, but I, if they've decided to change that, well, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, no, I do, I do, I do agree with you. I do agree with you. The the one other thing I'd say is that they don't they they're, they're falling behind like the the best teams in the world in terms of how the best teams are looking to play. Like if you looked back, I don't know if you guys saw like the All Blacks in the Argentina like last weekend and. Like, we just see how the All Blacks play like with the two playmakers and things like this and like I look back and like when I saw the team picked for Georgia and I saw Stuart McCloskey and Chris Farrell both picked in the centre and I know Stuart McCloskey like his burst in his gut in training and he, he deserves his chance to play but for me I just thought it was a, a good chance to maybe play a playmaking 12 there and let's see you know if, if Ireland can think their way around and do something different and it was just so lateral and predictable, I thought, with in midfield. And Ireland don't seem to want to look to play with that second playmaker. And, you know, I did a piece last week when I was trying to, you know, what kind of my team would have been for the Georgia game. And it was never going to happen. But I would have really liked to have seen someone like Kieran Frawley, you know, playing 12. And I know it's a massive step up and he still has to play the big games for Leinster. But the guy offers you something different. And it doesn't necessarily have to be him, but someone who's going to give you something different. Because like Luke said... If Ireland want to play this kind of, you know, over-the-top game, they better be bloody good at it. But they're not going to, it's not going to be good enough against the likes of England, against the likes of South Africa, New Zealand. So now is now not the time to be trying to change that. And just to kind of, like, kind of hammer home that point is what I mean about missing a chance in the Autumn Nations Cup. The pressure is ramped up now. And like I said, New Sephora has come out and said that, like, you know, the coaching staff will be judged on the Six Nations. So it, it's hard to imagine, unless like the younger guys shoot the lights out in the Champions Cup over the coming weeks, that many of those guys are going to be involved again because Andy Farrell is under more pressure now than what he was in the Autumn Nations Cup. So then it's another Six Nations gone. There's potentially a summer tour next year, which let's hope it goes ahead because that will be a really important tour in terms of like developing guys. But there's absolutely no guarantee that that's going to go ahead. So I just feel like this was a missed opportunity to have a look at a couple of more younger guys and also maybe potentially play with that playmaker that Ireland has been, I, I think, seriously lacking. Yeah, and it's interesting on, on the point about them getting Champions Cup game time. You know, realistically, Harry Brown won't be starting in the Champions mm. Cup. Uh, you know, will, will Gavin Coombs be starting for Munster? Possibly not. If CJ Stander and O'Mahony come back in and they want to go with Jack O'Donoghue in the back row. Like, Gavin Coombs has been their player of the season so far. He'll be on the outside looking. And a lot of these young guys that people might be, maybe wanted to see against Georgia, realistically, probably will only be involved off the bench, maybe if one of them takes a flyer and starts them. Lucas, there's one interesting thing on Andy Farrell at the moment, and, and there's been a lot of IS talk about how he's performing after, you know, eight, I think it's eight games into his first year, is that, I suppose... When he was appointed head coach, it was at a time where Ireland were top of, top of the world, never had been playing better. It was 2018 after that great year. 
Like realistically, I suppose if you took a view on it that if they were to have made that appointment after the World Cup, like they probably would have gone in a different direction, given that he was part of a setup that didn't have a good 2019. It's his first time as a head coach. By the time he took on the job, it was a fairly different circumstances to when he received it. Like he he is a man under pressure, and it sounds as like if he has a lot of head coaching experience to fall back on. No, I like look. I will say one thing. Like it, it's he's he's the kind of guy I be. I'd be leaning towards giving him a bit of a, a bit of a, a bit of leeway on this as well. Will I think he like he's got the personality for it? I, I can't help but think with all the coaches he's been around and just knowing his personality just a tiny bit and from hearing a lot about him that I think he's well suited to a head coaching job. It's not like he's not able for this. Um, you know, look, there's going to be a bit of pressure here, and there was always going to be a few transitional parts w- with this team. Like Rory Best was leaving. Um, you know, Joe Schmidt. It, it's like it's very hard to follow up that act. Like Joe is Joe is a kind of an unusual personality uh, in terms of his commitment, in terms of his thinking, and all that. Like so, it was always going to be a hard act to to, to follow, and there's going to be a few guys as well who are going to be probably moving on from this team in the next year or two. So he's got a difficult enough period to manage through, will, and it'll certainly test his ability as a head coach. But I'd be kind of inclined to give him time, um, based on the personality and based on the CV prior to this. Um, I, I think he's worth sticking with. The players seem to like him. That's not always a great thing. But I think it's. I'd rather have that than them hating him. To be honest, I think that that's a, that makes for a more lasting relationship and a more kind of fruitful one. Generally speaking, if you do like the person, um, you can still be a tough bastard and do that. Um, but can I just, I just come in, my, my, my can come in on the, the CV point because I, I, you know, Neil Francis had an interesting piece on uh, at the weekend about kind of transitioning from a number two role into a number one role and, and the different skills required. Because if you, I was looking at Andy Farrell, he's a rugby league player legend like rugby league was where he spent most of his time in terms of coaching he's really been a defense coach you know rugby league like now this, you you might be able to put me right on this one whether this is a big deal or not but there is no you know there's no breakdown there's no line outs the scrums are completely different huge parts of rugby union he's now a head coach like joe schmidt would have had an input in all these areas you know andy file i'm not sure how you know what his expertise is in these areas, but these are a lot of areas where his background would have been in a different code where they wouldn't have been as prominent and his coaching up to now for the most part has been as a defense coach. So these are new areas and these are areas that haven't really been performing under his head coaching. Yeah. And I think that's a fair point to make. And I think I've like, I suppose that's the disappointing thing from my end, Will, is that I didn't see, I haven't seen them being like, I haven't seen a, a huge change in thinking, you know, and, and I haven't seen them being really good in open play, which is probably what you'd expect from a guy from with a, with a rugby league background, maybe you know, just a, you know, a few kind of lead plays here, a few ways to break down an organised defence because it's very hard to break teams down in rugby league because you don't really have any weak athletes in terms of you know sp- like speed and that. Um, so I suppose I was a little bit disappointed with that. My biggest disappointment is that I haven't seen Ireland's defence be you know impenetrable and like really suffocating on other teams. Like <laughs> like I think you can get people to do the other stuff. You still have to have a vision. You still have to be able to get people to buy in. I think he. I think he. There's no way with all the teams he's been involved in that he can't. He doesn't have that vision about how a team atta- should attack, or because he's looking at even on the, from the other side, he's been looking at how to defend against great attacks the whole way through as well. Will so like by I think you know by the process of elimination, you'd have to think that look if he's trying to figure out how to stop these things, he should know what works to break them down. So I think look, I, I suppose I'm just looking for. I, I think that the attack part is concerning. My my big part with him is that I don't think he needs to like. There's a big management of personalities in that, and managing the vision that everyone's working towards. I think he'd be really good at that. I would like to see some traits of his coaching in the defensive part. To my mind, I thought that was what he was going to be really bringing to this. Um, 
because I don't think you need to be coaching everything as the, as the head coach. Yes, you need to understand what's going on in all the different parts. Um, and sure, you have to be able to contribute. But uh, to my mind, like Declan Kidney did none of that stuff. Um, and he's, you know, he got some great people in um, to, to do that for him. Um, and he's he has a great CV. Now he has, look, his, his fallbacks here and there as well. But I think he's been very successful all the way through. And I think there's lots of different people throughout rugby who can do that role. And I would think he's the guy who can galvanize a, a group and get them going in the right direction, which is what the head coach's yeah, job really is. I just this was when I was looking or thinking about the really successful guys who've come from rugby league, a lot of times they've been members of a setup rather than head men themselves. Like Sean Edwards had the head coach title in Wasp, but Gatlin was there, Ian McGeegan was there. Like Les Kiss was part of an Ireland setup with, you know, Declan Kidney and Gert Smile. Like Andy Farrell was part of a really successful setup with Joe Schmidt, but he wasn't the head coach. And I'm just trying to think in my head now. Is there that many really successful rugby league head coaches in rugby union? No. Look, Farrell played. Farrell's played rugby union for England. Like you know, he's he's got like he's got the CV. Like he's a rugby union guy. I'm, no, I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate. I'm not saying that no, my yeah, rugby no, league no, no, guys don't. Yeah, certainly an interesting talking point. And like that's you know, I would say that's probably a small enough sample for us to be saying. Well, look, that's definitive as well. Like it's you've what have you named four people there? Yeah, look. There's lots of coaches that do well, who've played rugby union forever, who've had the best CV as well, who've been head coaches and just are terrible everywhere they go. So, <laughs> And then there's guys who are terrible and they have one good one. So like, and there's so many other factors to really consider in this one. Like, I, I would say if we look at the Ireland team, there's certainly a team in transition as well. Like, We've got a few probably younger guys who are coming, going to be coming into leadership positions. We have a few guys who might be coming towards the end in very key positions. Um, and I think they're like that'll be a tough management job for him, but it does make his job in the meantime quite difficult because he's expected to get results because we've had great results for quite a long period of time, um, and we're getting great results with the provinces week in week out. Uh, and I think the expectation then is that that'll just transfer across. Um, and I think we're going to leave the conversation about how poor the quality is in the league for another for another time. Um, but leaving that aside, people are expecting good teams from this team when in fact. It might be a, a case of being patient with both coaches and players. What mm. we would like to see is that there's they're giving themselves at least the opportunity to break down and to grow by having a good shape or having some good kind of thinking that you can kind of say, okay, I can see what they're doing there. It didn't work, but I can see what they're doing. And, and that's probably why we're looking. I don't know what you think, Keen. Is that, yeah, is that like, in the realm you're in? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. But I think there's definitely a fine balance there to be got because – because like Ireland and like and this is another thing like like I was going to say because Ireland were so successful under Joe Schmidt but like ultimately they weren't at, at the World Cup they didn't get what they set out to achieve which was to break the you know the quarterfinal ceiling so it kind of depends what you measure on success but like obviously by and large it was a successful period and certain standards were set I guess both in terms of how the team were playing and what supporters expect so I just think there's a balance between being patient, but also not accepting that, okay, like Ireland for the next two years like are going to be playing catch-up to everyone else. I think there's got to be certain standards that can't be allowed to drop either because, you know, you've got to build on what, what was there before. And just to go, go back to like the, the point that you initially made, with, uh, Will, about, you know, them appointing Andy Farrell when they did, it was actually interesting that New Sephora was asked about this on Monday um, whether anyone else was interviewed at the time uh, for the job and he came out and he said no which is very interesting as well like for such a big job they didn't it wasn't advertised obviously no one else was spoken to it was handed to Andy Farrell like you said at a time when Ireland were at the, were at their peak basically so 
yeah and, and it's not like it's not like thankfully rugby isn't like soccer where you know managers get our coaches get fired you know with at the drop of a hat and judging by what you see for some supporters like that's what they want which is totally ridiculous number one the IRFU can't afford to get rid of these guys anyway so that's not going to happen but Luke is right like you got to have you got to have time and you got to have patience with this but also we have to see a little bit more to justify I think that time and patience because right now we're just not seeing enough developments where it doesn't feel very fresh and new does it even though this is a, like a new head coach it doesn't feel like Ireland are moving in a new direction and well like fresh and new you say fresh and new but like when the coaching staff most of them were there for, for mm. three four years beforehand so it, it's not like Mike Cat is the you've recently replaced Joe Schmidt with Mike Cat and I suppose John Fogarty and Greg Fee have, have swapped around as well but like you have Simon Easterby who's been there for for quite a while you know, Richie Murphy's been there for quite a while. Andy Farrell's been there for quite a while. So, in terms of the freshness and the newness, was that was that ever going to be? Well, I sorry, I just mean freshness and new ideas from a new head coach. Yeah. You know, who it has to all come from, and like and that's an issue as well, which you know is worth pointing out. I'm sure most people know, but like you said, most of this coaching staff have already been there. John Fogarty came from Leinster and obviously did a really good job, but the step up is quite big, and the scrum hasn't been hasn't been that convincing um, since he's come either. And, when your backs are against the wall, like Andy Farrell's is now, you wonder where he's looking within that coaching staff, you know, for that little bit of help. Because, like I said, we just haven't seen enough from Mike Cat either. And I know he was there in England. Like, that didn't work out too well. He was with Italy. I mean, you know, I know that's a very different gig. But at the same time, like, did we see a whole pile of, you know, Italy's style of play trying to improve? I'm not sure that we did. So... There's still question marks remaining, and like Nusifora said, like the Six Nations is the time to judge them. But I just worry that they kind of missed an opportunity within the Autumn Nations Cup to like maybe try and try a few new things because obviously, you know, Ireland are I think it's February seventh um, away to Wales. Like I don't know, Wales have had their struggles, but February seventh is only around the corner. Like it's a very short turnaround when you factor in the Champions Cup. So this is going to come around quite quite quickly and it's a massive campaign for Andy Farrell and and all of his coaching staff because if worse was to come to worse and Ireland were to bomb in that I don't think it will happen you would have a big decision to make you're two years out from a world cup you look at what South Africa did two years out from a world cup like they got Rassi Rasmus in and they ended up winning it and I know that's an extreme example but if the Six Nations wasn't to go well like the, the IRFU got a big decision to make. Like I, th- I believe it will go well. I, I, I do. I think you know when you look at the quality of players that have to come back. Like someone like Furlong has been a huge loss. Ringrose, Larmer, um, you know these guys have to come back in. But who's to say a few more players won't be injured by the time it rolls around? So it really is going to be a huge, huge campaign. And I guess if Ireland were not just to win against Scotland this weekend, but to have a decent performance where we saw a little bit more then it would put a different sort of complexion, you know, on it. But if we see more of the same, then it's going to be a long few weeks for Andy Farris eating into it. Yeah, and just, I know it's looking ahead a couple of months, but, uh, you know, the Six Nations traditionally in the even, in the, in the sorry, the odd-numbered years, it's been looked at more favourably because we have England and France at home. But this time, like, you know, this season, say, for instance, we he had a, a handy enough fixture in terms of Italy, Scotland, and a, and a Wales team going backwards at a rate of knots at home. Next year, he has those three teams away in England and France. The form teams coming to the Aviva. There's no gimmies there. There's no real easy games there. Maybe Italy and Rome, but that, that's four nah, tough victories. Italy, come on. <laughs> okay, Italy and Rome, gimmies. But like, Don't be judging them with that Georgia match. <laughs> but, there, but there's four, there's four tricky games there. But yeah. um, I suppose 
Keen, I know you were at the David News Four press conference or, or press Zoom, uh, whatever it was. It, it was an interesting kind of insight into, I suppose, the, the, the man making all the decisions. The guy who hires Andy Farrell and is ultimately responsible, I suppose, for the performance of the national team. Like, what, what was that like? You know, how, how, what it, he seemed to be kind of cagey to give away too much detail on, on some of on some of his thoughts. Yeah, look, I mean, I suppose it, trying to get the information that you wanted out of him was was very tough. I, I suppose one of the most one of the most glaring things was that he was asked about, you know, the the report into the World Cup, you know, that so much was made of in terms of anxiety, performance anxiety, and all these kind of buzz terms that we heard. But no one has actually seen that report, at least anyone on the outside. And he was asked about that, you know, um, where has that been distributed? And it was kind of like, you know, a one line answer: it's been distributed to people who need it. Well, who's that? People within Irish rugby. So, like, very short, very snappy. Like, in other words, you know, it's none of your business. Whereas, you know, on one hand, that, that's fair enough. But, like, it would be nice to see, you know, David Nusifor is obviously running the show at the IRFU. But, like, who's above him in judging his performance, I guess? You know, he's been here for two, uh, not two full World, World Cup cycles, but two World Cups. And Ireland have failed to, you know, reach their achievements at both. I think he's done a lot of good things in Irish rugby, but... You know, what, Ireland what are those been? What, what has he done well? When you look at the, the provinces, I, I like the idea of trying to spread the wealth of you know the provinces. I know it doesn't sit well with a lot of people with Leinster probably in particular, but I think he's he's done good. Like he's he's helped make I think Ulster much stronger than what they were. I think he's gotten some good coaches in. Um, you, you know, you have to look at what they achieved under Joe Schmidt in terms of you know winning are, the grand slam. Are the coaches in not like? kind of done on a provincial level, Kian. Well, the IRFU are the ones, like, you know, footing the no, bills. They're, 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 they're involved. Yeah, they're of, course they would, yeah. of course they would be, yeah. But as far as I'm aware, they would be, yeah. Um, like, everything within Irish rugby has to get signed off by David Nusifora. If you want to sign a player, he's the one who has to sign off on it, you know. So I think he has done good things, but, you know, who's judging his performance, I guess, basically as well. He's the performance director. Who's judging his performance? Like, do, do you not, you're not convinced I take it, Luke, by him? I don't know what he does. Yeah. Um, I don't see, like, I, th I think it's, uh, sorry, I, I know he's kind of in a management role. He's kind of supposed to be driving the strategy, I assume, to, to, to get Irish rugby going the right direction. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, I don't know whether that's just, the league being so poor or like I don't know I, I'm not sure that that is the case actually that those things have gotten that, those, that that's gotten better I can certainly see some remnants of the players kind of you know going from province to province but I think you know to my mind and even the coaching selection like I would I would have thought the provinces are were more heavily kind of um involved in that you know particularly consider like you have to have some kind of autonomy there I know the IRFU are, are the checkbook at the end um, but I think it's interesting. Look, it was good to have him out again, as you say. He didn't say much, which isn't that unusual for anyone from from the IRFU, really, is it? Um, they're generally fairly cryptic, uh, and they manage to they 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 manage to press stuff very very tightly. Like I would say one thing in in their defence in in the in terms of the World Cup kind of um, well, I suppose the carcass or the report, or whatever they they brought out. If they did survey the players, the fact that they kept on that some of those players are still there. And also, some of the coaching staff are still there, and, and Andy Farrell, I suppose. Like, is that feedback out going out into the public? Is that actually very helpful to the team going forward? Or, in fact, uh, you know, is it actually you know very important that that stays internal? That you get the message across to the people that that matter, um, and you you kind of uh, you know it's circulated amongst the team. 
uh, versus the public, which I think might be kind of da- particularly if you had had a survey. Now I know you can kind of have anonymity, but like, I mean, oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Guys, well, it's like, interesting. It, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with, I suppose, the, the the way in which the succession plan was handled, and that there's now a report that no one's read outside maybe the people involved in the team. But you know, concerning the coaching staff that are still there, basically who were involved in this World Cup that didn't go very well. So it's just, you know, you wouldn't know what was said about those coaches in that report yet. They'd already been agreed to be the new ticket. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah no, I, it's interesting. Like, but I suppose the thing, like, I, I did, I just thought it was unusual that they kind of circulated some information, like the the performance and anxiety thing. It was like everyone's fucking anxious. It's a World Cup quarterfinal. <laughs> like, you, I think that kind of stuff to me was a real throwaway. That like, I, I just don't. Yeah, look, I, I see no value in really. Yeah, of course you have to do the you have to do the rundown and you have to look back over the stuff. You have to get the feedback from the people who were there. But like, why share it? Like, why even share any of that information other than that? Yes, of course we're doing it. It's it's an internal review. Um, <laughs> I find it bizarre to even give any kind of snippets about it. But but the fact that they did give snippets uh, means but that shoot. like, but, but people like me, you know, in my job are going to you know ask and yeah, kind of follow definitely. up about it. And I guess what I mean is like, I'm not like no one is expecting them to reveal like what Johnny Sexton's answers to the you know the questionnaire, whatever it was. Was, but the fact that the IRFU did put um, performance anxiety out there, and New Sephora was asked that on Monday, well, what have you, what, what has been done to rectify this? That you know, performance anxiety won't happen again. Because in fairness, when you look back on a lot of the games this year, it looks like there has been, and I know it's a hard thing to define, but there definitely has been similar aspects to what we saw in 2019. And you know, they had Enda McNulty on board for the last few years. He's now left um, as a mental skills coach or whatever the fancy title was. But he hasn't been replaced or they haven't kind of gone down that route in, in terms of bringing someone in. So it's very hard for, you know, for so, someone like me to tell the, the public in terms of like the people who want to know these yeah. things. Well, what has actually been done to rectify and address this performance anxiety that it won't happen again in France in 2023? And the answer was that it has been addressed internally. And you, you have nothing. There's nothing there to you know, there's no substance to that. Or it's, it's, so that's, I think that's where the, probably the frustration in terms of, giving little drips out and actually not kind of backing it up in terms of how it's been addressed. You know, we've hired someone or, yeah. okay, Andy's, this, Andy's kind of got the feedback. He's exactly. decided that mm. he's going to manage it this way along yeah. with the player group or something. Yeah. yeah. Look, there's definitely a better way. If you, As you say, if you give the information, well, you better have a good answer as to what, what's been done to change it, particularly if the team isn't playing well again. So, um, I, no, I, I do get the point. Sorry, I wasn't being – I was kind of just – like it is an interesting one, isn't it? Putting that information out there. I mean, it's quite clear you have to do, a, you know, you have to look at, at what went right, what went wrong. Um, but I suppose you say you give the snippet, then you better back up some information once because that, that's the only sound bite you give. That's the problem with giving nothing else. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and in terms of his kind of role and the broader context of what he does, I suppose, you know, player negotiations and contracts is, is like one of his big remits. And I suppose. Simon Zebo and Dunnick Ryan are probably the only two kind of Ireland starters who've left during his time here. So in terms of retaining the guys he wants to retain, you'd have to say he's done a good job in that regard, Keane. But some very tough decisions will probably have to be made. I know, I, I, what, was there, is there like, it's over 50 players who are, I think, 80, 80, 80 players who yeah, are up for, up for new contracts in the summer and mm. uh, negotiations haven't started yet. Like from what you know, you're hearing or, or your sense of it, Will there be some big names who might be might be looking elsewhere at the end of this, or what do you think? Uh, like, I, not to cop out, but I do think it will be an individual an individual basis. Like some guys are, well, sorry, a lot of guys are on central contracts, and I guess some of them 
are probably going to be any, on anyway, you know, on sort of dodgy ground in terms of if they're going to retain um, a central contract. And if they don't, there's obviously going to be a significant hit in their salary. So if, if one of those guys, let's say, is in his like, you know, 32, 33, would he be better off looking abroad for the last couple of years? It's very hard to get a sense because the, the players are being asked about it. Peter Romani is one of those guys. He was up for media yesterday and Johnny Sexton was as well. And in fairness, like, you know, it's, I know it gets kind of portrayed as like a really glamorous career and obviously most of the time it is a great career and it pays very well but it's also a very short career and everyone has their own issues going on right now in the world and like rugby players are no different like normally contracts would be you know tied up well by now and from what I gather there has been no indication either because of the IRFU's you know obvious financial struggles so like upwards of 80 players like that is a staggering amount when you think about it now obviously lots of those guys are provincial guys you're not talking about you know all Ireland internationals but I think there's like maybe eight or nine Ireland internationals like Ian Henderson, Keith Earls, Peter O'Mahony, Tyke Furlong like a lot of big names there so I think privately the RFU would be hopeful that they're able to keep the majority of them but you know if if one if one or two were to go well like I'll kind of look elsewhere I think there'll be certain um, allowances made for like someone like Tyke Furlong just cannot be allowed to leave Ireland you know we've seen over the last few months um, when he hasn't been there how important he has been but you know, if a guy's got a young family and if he's coming off a central contract, there's very little scope, I would imagine, right now for provinces to significantly bump up the deals, which when you go back to it, you know, that was obviously one of the reasons why Donica Ryan left back in, you know, whenever it was a few years ago. So it's it's nervy times for, for a lot of guys, especially when, you know, and I was actually, I asked Johnny Sexton about this yesterday, that does it create like a nervous tension amongst guys that, you know, you're going out there, you're almost trying to force it a little bit because you're trying to say, especially if you're one of the older guys, you know, um, are you trying to prove a point like to New Sephora that, you know, I'm worthy of this new contract and maybe forcing it. So, and he admitted that it could be, it could be a factor in some guys' minds. So yeah, it's tricky. Um, I'd be surprised. Like, uh, it, it, I think the IRFU and New Sephora would do very well if they were able to keep, you know, of the ones that they want, all of those players who were out of contract at the end of the season, but like it's a huge number, isn't it? Yeah, look, it could be interesting if they had to make choice if they have to start making choices between, say, like you know, a veteran big name player who could be on a big deal versus maybe you could probably pay two or three mid level guys who were important cogs in various provincial squads for the same same money per say that like sort of scenario. There could be like little trade offs they might have to make given the financial outlook. I would have thought that, like, the financial, like, the one thing about this is that the this has hit everyone. So, like, everyone's everyone's finances are going to be in seriously bad shape after this because, well, no one's really been able to play in front of a crowd except out in Australia in that bubble, really. Um, there hasn't been any really big crowds at sports events. So, the one thing in their favour in terms of keeping the players is that, well, everyone else is in the same boat. Like, I mean, you know, you'd have to think that, you know, What's like even someone like Rassing, like Lauren is Lauren Zeddy, is he in real estate? Like that can't be going. Like, you know, he must be under a bit of pressure if he's any kind of commercial property in his portfolio. Like all these kind of people, everyone's gonna feel the sting on this. The the end result may well be that yes, we keep them all, but they might have to reevaluate what actually like what the actual price tag is because the market might just it just mightn't be able to afford paying them what they're paying them already. That's an awful thing for me to say, but I think it seems quite obvious, I think, when you think about it that you know, because everyone's just been so badly affected by this, Will. I mean, like, at some point, like, all these places will have had debt with different places. 
And, you know, when you don't pay, if you've no revenues coming in to pay your debt, well, that means that, that get the, the, the interest in the principal that don't get paid get tacked on to the principal. So you end up, yes, interest rates are going down. But at the same time, the amount that you have to pay the debt on is going up. So they're going to be under massive pressure financially and have bigger financial commitments with probably less revenue for another period of time. So to my mind, everyone's going to be in that boat. But I think agents might have to reevaluate well, what actually is the, re the true value of the player, given the market has completely changed. And that's going to be, I hope I'm wrong on that. But to my mind, that's stating the obvious. Um, and I think that's going to be the case for lots of different places and lots of different types of work, uh, professional sports, particularly, uh, particularly rugby, I think, as well, because um you know the crowds are so so important to to revenue streams you know that that's that's a big thing you know uh, versus soccer where they i think they can probably survive a little bit more in football with tv revenues in the top clubs i don't think that's the same for 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 rugby i don't think it's as kind of it's split as, as much that way and then advertising revenues you know uh, you would expect that that stuff will go will, will be hit as well because those companies will be will be hit by this too so it's very worrying times for the sport, you know, and as Keen says, like 80 people that are up out of contract, it's a terrible time to be negotiating a contract. Um, so I really, really feel for them. And I do hope that there's some kind of solution that means everyone is in a good position after this and no one's worrying about the finances in the game. Um, but that might not be a realistic expectation or hope. The crowds, the crowds coming back are key and like just yeah. to maybe give it, there's been a lot of neg negative vibes, I suppose, for the last, the last chat. Um, for the last while but I guess you know we've seen in the UK the crowds are starting to come back now and you know again going back to Nusifora he was asked about this and he said that the IRFU would be hopeful that by the six nations that pilot programs could be introduced in Ireland in terms of getting people back and obviously it's going to be small numbers to to begin with but you know if you couple that with the news of you know the vaccines like look like they're a big much step bigger step closer now there are positive signs that if kind of rugby can get through the next while and I know they'll they'll feel the effects for a few years to come but there is light at the end of the tunnel now yeah 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 well fingers crossed yeah as you say early in 2021 maybe some some crowds can start returning just guys before we finish up I guess Ireland Scotland on Saturday Luke the last game of the Autumn Nations Cup you know we've obviously talked about a lot of the issues earlier so what are you hoping to see then this weekend just to, just to sum up I guess um the chat yeah, like I, I think we'd like we, we'd like to see maybe a little bit more accuracy. Uh, I'd love to I'd like to see a little bit more shape in the attack, particularly from the backs. Now I know there was a few different bodies in there the last day, so I think we will accept that. Look, there's there was a few few new guys in there, and, and it's difficult to just sit, you know fit straight in. But you know you'd expect you know it looks like Sexton's going to be in there. Henshaw's back training as well. You know they're all very experienced international. So I'm hoping it's just to see you know a really good shape. Uh, you know, lots of opportunities created and hopefully I'd like to see us take a few of them. From an offensive standpoint, you know, I just want to see us really, like, dominate a team and be really watertight for, for long periods of the game. You're not expecting, not expecting perfection, but we are expecting that, um, you know, even if, like, like the Georgian thing, if they make a break, that our scramble is good, that people aren't missing basic tackles, that the technique is good throughout um, and that they're kind of, you know, it's kind of a really kind of, I suppose, suffocating type defence that I think Ireland can produce and have produced at different times over, now, not, not in the recent history, but over recent enough history. You know, I'm thinking of games against New Zealand and that, where we've been excellent um, in, in that facet. So that's probably what I'm looking for. And I would like to see just one last thing, probably some, some 
the line out functioning, you know, quite smoothly. I'd I just think that's a big part, it's such a big part of the game now. If you can get good line out ball, and we have a few young guys in there, you know, James Ryan, obviously, you know, captain. I would like to see us kind of settle down um, and, uh, and and get some good, you know, consistent ball throughout the whole game and, and create some good shape and opportunities for our attack to flourish on the front foot. And that's probably what I'm looking for, Well, I'm not so concerned about the scoreline yet. I think that comes in February. Mm. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And even to see some of the personnel decisions, like will it be Harry or Ross Byrne? This is kind of our first exposure, really, to a head-to-head battle between them uh, in terms of who might get the nod, Keen. So I'll give you the last word. Like, Is there anything, even like personnel-wise, like who you'd like to see, any combinations or, or, or guys you'd like to see come in for what is, I suppose, now a very important game? I'd be surprised if the team wasn't as we expect. I suppose the, the thing about Harry Byrne is that uh, Andy Farrell didn't deem that he was ready to you know, potentially be on the bench against Georgia last week. So how could he deem him? Leinster didn't even play since then. So how could he deem him ready to be on the bench to play Scotland? I would be surprised. It would be great to see, but I'd be surprised. Um, I, I, I would be surprised as well if there was any major shocks within the team. I think we could probably you know, pick it now. Um, in terms of what I'd like to see, you mentioned it earlier, Will, like the breakdown has been so poor um, and I think a lot of the issues have stemmed from there. Um, and I don't know if it's you know guys struggling to get to grips with the new interpretations or what, but like, it's worth saying that like, this Scotland team are like, you know, making serious strides by the looks of it. Now, I know they always you know, they, they let you down when you big them up, but they look like they're making good strides finally under Gregor Townsend and their back row it's pretty formidable, I would say. So I think it's going to be a good test of, you know, Ireland's breakdown. You're not convinced, Will, but I think, they, I think they've made, they're, they're going in the right direction, certainly. At least you can see what they're trying to do. But you look at Hamish Watson, Jamie Ritchie, like they're pretty good around the breakdown. So if Ireland aren't, aren't nailed on there, which they haven't been in the last few weeks, I think there could be, there could be problems. And I'd agree with, with uh, Luke. I would like to see like just a little bit more invention and like nailing the basics and hoping that maybe a little bit more can flow off that. Well, yeah, it's certainly going to be an interesting game, and for for a third place playoff and a made up tournament, I suppose there, there doesn't seem to be a good bit at stake this weekend. So it'll be interesting to see where we're at next week when we reconvene for the moment. Keen Luke, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, lads. Cheers, Keen. Thank you. Cheers. And that's all we have time for this week on the Left Wing. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with another podcast. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on Independent.ie. So until next week, thanks for listening, and goodbye.